All right, so grab your Bibles. You all, we are in the book of Acts. Uh, we got blue Bibles in the center of the table. I will share with you, if you don't have a Bible, what we're about to do is going to be kind of hard. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, then grab someone who is, and they can help you kind of try to figure your way out um, around the Bible. So we're in the book of Acts. Our passage today is chapter 7, verses 17 through 43. So Acts chapter 17, verses 17 through 43. If you're using a blue Bible, it's on page 1013. Page 1013. Our passage next week is going to be verses 44 through 53. So write that down and dig into it some in the week ahead. Verses 44 through 53 next week. So why are we asking you to open a Bible and why are we asking you to read the Bible this week? Because we believe God speaks to everybody and we believe everyone needs to hear His voice. And so we want to put His Word, we want to put the things that He's done and the things that He's said in front of us. And we take the Bible very seriously here at Hope Fellowship. Alright, so just a little bit of context to bring everybody up to speed where we're at today. In the book of Acts, Jesus has just left the earth. He died, He rose again, and then He went up to heaven 40 days after He rose. And then He sent His promise, and that was the Holy Spirit, who is God the Spirit. And God and the Spirit has been coming and living inside the followers of Jesus. And when God comes and lives inside someone, things radically change, do they not? Amen. So we've got this group of people that started out small, but they're big now. There's thousands and thousands of them, maybe 10,000 or more, not for sure. But there's thousands of them. And they love God, and they're following God, and they're telling a lot of people about God. But there's another religion in the city that they're in. They're in Jerusalem. There's another religion in the city that they're in. And the leaders of that religion, it's actually the Jewish religion that, that, that Jesus came to fulfill and to, to kind of bring the next phase of history into. The, the Jewish leaders don't like the changes that Jesus came to make to their religion. And the Jewish leaders do not like these Christians who are followers of Jesus telling everyone about Jesus. The Jewish leaders are trying to keep things the way they've been for, for hundreds of years, for many generations. And we've seen a lot of conflict in the last few months. So when we get to chapter 6 and 7, there's a man named Stephen. And Stephen is a mighty man of God. He's a preacher. He's doing some miracles. He's just well thought of, incredibly good reputation. Well, the same thing that happened to Jesus is happening to him. And that is, he's on trial. And he could be executed, and he will be executed, as we'll see in two weeks. But there's false witnesses rising up against Stephen and saying all kinds of horrible things that are not true. And in chapter 7 that we're looking at today, Stephen is given his defense. He's saying, this is what's happening, this is what's going on. And this is our second week looking at what Stephen has to say. Last week, Stephen started by telling the story of the Jewish people. Hey, God went and chose a man named Abraham and made promises to him. 
And then God raised up a man named Joseph. And Joseph saved the Jewish people from famine. Okay? And we saw last week how both Abraham and Joseph point towards Jesus Christ and point towards Christianity. So this week, we're going to move into another part of the story. And all this that we looked at last week and this week happened in the Old Testament. Today what we're looking at is about Moses. I used to get Abraham and Moses mixed up. That ended for me a few years back. But I just, which one was which? It was so hard for me. Abraham was the guy I started out with. We looked at him last week. Moses is the man that God chose to use to deliver his people from slavery. So some of the, what are the accusations against Stephen? Why is Stephen having to make this speech? Why is Stephen having to defend himself? The religious leaders are saying, a falsely, that Stephen is blaspheming against God, and he's telling lies about Moses and the temple and the law of God. So the things that are most important to those Jewish people... They're saying that Stephen is trying to wreck all of those and rewrite history and do bad and horrible things with all of that. And it's just not true. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read this passage. I'd like you all to follow along. After I read, I want you to take four or five minutes, read the passage to yourself, become familiar with it, and then we're going to have a discussion about it. You'll get to share observations, you'll get to ask questions, and just become more familiar with the passage. So verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Father God, I pray your blessing over the reading and meditation, over the discussion and the preaching of your word. God, send your spirit, enter into us, bring life and renewal and restoration in every way to us today, I pray. Amen. Take four or five minutes. Read the passage over and over again as many times as you can. And uh, when the time is right, your discussion leader will begin the discussion. So in our passage today, there were a lot of different pieces. And I, I, I think that many of us, as we approach a passage like this, it's hard to identify a starting point in the conversation because there's just so many things. So Stephen begins the passage today. And keep in mind, this is not the beginning of Stephen's talk. But Stephen has already talked about Abraham. He's already talked about Joseph and how God used them to do incredible things for the people. And he talked about how God and Joseph um, really help us to understand Jesus and the current situation that Stephen is in as he's on trial. Well, here he brings in Moses. So what do we need to know about Moses? In the Old Testament, we first get to know Moses in the book of Exodus. But after the book of Exodus, Moses is a popular, popular guy. Okay, in the nation of Israel, he's kind of like the George Washington or the Abraham Lincoln. You know, he's just someone who stands out, you know, as a centerpiece of history. You know, and Moses... Like, you know, our own founding fathers or any great historical figure certainly has his faults. He certainly was not perfect. You know, we, we know all that. He, he's human and he's in need of a savior just like we are. But what we have to know about Moses is that God used him to do some incredible things. 
And in this passage, it begins, the first few verses talk about the situation in Egypt. Do you remember there in Egypt now? They, Abraham had been up in the promised land, which is, you know, modern day Israel and that part of the world. But now they're in Egypt. There was a famine where they were, and Egypt had food, so they all went down to Egypt. And things have changed, though, since they first went down there. The pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, that was so friendly to Joseph and the family, was not around anymore. He's long gone. And there's a new pharaoh, and this pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, and he doesn't know the people. And that creates some tension. That creates some problems. And the, this family, this, this Joseph's family, Abraham's family that are there, y'all, they're really good at something. They're growing. Their population is increasing in size very quickly. And the truth is, God had said that that would happen. You're going to have lots of grandkids, lots of great-grandkids, and with each generation, just more and more and more of you. God had told Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. So all these people that are in Egypt that are not Egyptian are growing rapidly, and there's a new king in town, and the king decides to make all of them slaves. On top of that, this king decides... And he, 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 he's afraid that the Egyptians are going to be outnumbered by these people and there's going to be a revolution and the Egyptians are not going to get to rule Egypt any longer. So the Pharaoh decides, I'm going to start killing, I'm going to direct the midwives. The midwives were the women who del- helped deliver babies. And I'm going to direct the midwives that any baby boy that's born to kill him. This is genocide. This is infanticide. This is Hitler. This is Holocaust. This is extermination. It is an attempt by a world leader, to, or, or anyone for that matter, to try to exterminate a certain group of people. So that was the situation in Egypt among God's... It's horrible, isn't it? I'm seeing you, some of y'all are just, just disgusted. You all, these things happen throughout history. These things are actually happening in our world today. Disgusting. Heartbreaking. It could have been us. Because these babies that Pharaoh told the midwives to kill are helpless. They can't defend themselves, right? So that's the situation in Egypt at this time. Well, Moses is born. Well, they hide Moses. And when Moses is three months old, his parents decide we can't hide him any longer. And so Moses' mom did some neat stuff. Long story short, Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So now all of a sudden, Moses, this three-month-old baby who's supposed to be dead, now has the king for his grandpa. Y'all, that's special. That's something that God would do. When he wants to raise up someone, no powerful king is going to stop him from raising up anybody. Herod tried to do the same thing to Jesus. He had all the baby boys killed because he was worried about another king being born. And it didn't work for him either. So awful situation. But God raises up Moses 
And Moses gets the finest education and he's raised up as a grandchild of the king. When Moses was 40 years old, he went out and he visited his own people while they were working, while they were slaves. And he saw an Egyptian slave master oppressing one of the slaves. Moses stepped in to try to make things right, and he ended up killing the slave master. The next day, Moses went back out there, and instead of a slave master and a slave arguing, there were two slaves arguing with one another. And Moses stepped in, and he tried to stop the argument, and the one who was at fault, the the slave who was oppressing the other slave, said, who made you our king? Who made you our ruler? Who made you our judge? Leave us alone. Are you going to kill me just like you killed the Egyptian slave master yesterday? And Moses' intervention was rejected. Moses leaves the nation. He flees to a land far away. He gets married. He has two children. And then one day God shows up and God speaks to him. And look at verse 34 of our passage today. You know, Moses is long gone from the slaves and slavery in Egypt and all that stuff. And God says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. You all, God raised up Abraham. We saw last week, God raised up Joseph and appointed him for a specific task. We saw that last week. Here, God raises up Moses. He preserves his life through many threats. And he, now he's got a job for Moses to do. And he puts his hand on Moses. You all, these three men, Abraham, Joseph, and Moses, all point toward Jesus. And really, they point toward Stephen as well. Because Stephen is also appointed for a very important task. And, and, and just like Moses has been rejected, so Jesus is rejected by the people he goes to. And Stephen is trying to do the things that God wants to do with the religious leaders. And they are rejecting Stephen just like Moses was rejected by the people that God sent him to. There's a lot of parallels. These Old Testament stories are all pointing forward to what's going on in the New Testament. And these things are very significant. So do you remember that, I'll call them the bad guys, the Jewish leaders, the bad guys, are saying that Stephen was saying all kinds of bad things about Moses. That's one of the things he's on trial for, right? Well, in verse 36, Stephen goes to set the record straight about Moses. He goes to speak the truth and to explain to them the real story behind Moses. Remember earlier I told you if you got the wrong information, you can't get to the right place, right? Well, these Jewish leaders, they don't understand who Moses is. They think they do. And sometimes those are the hardest people to talk to, aren't they? Is those people who think they have it all together. And, and these knuckleheads, these bad guys, these Jewish leaders... They think they've got it all together. Well, here, Stephen speaks to them in verse 36. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who spoke to him in the bush. God made Moses a ruler. 
Now, when I think about that, I don't think of Moses so much as a king, although, you know, that he wasn't appointed to office by man. He wasn't voted in. You know, there was no political process, you know, like there had been with future kings. But what we do know is that he led them. And this word translated ruler could easily just mean leader. I think the emphasis is on leadership. Moses was the chosen man of God to lead the people during that season. And that's how God always works. He raises up different people in different places for different purposes in different seasons. And at that moment in their history, Moses was the man. And he was to lead them. And in his leadership of the people, it points forward to Jesus Christ whom they rejected. But he also says in verse 36 that Moses was the redeemer. What does a redeemer do? When you think about redemption, there's a number of aspects to it, and I'll only talk about a couple of them. But it has to do with making something better, does it not? And oftentimes, it has to do with doing something else. I'm sorry, it has to do with doing something for someone else. You're going and getting something for someone that they can't get for themselves. God raised up Moses. He was not a slave, although he should have been one, apart from the intervention of God. Slavery was not his story, but God used him to free slaves. God used him to free the people. And this points us to Jesus Christ. You know, my problem in life is that it was not that I was a slave to a man or to a king. But my problem in life was that I was a slave to sin. And sin controlled me. Now every one of you in here, you're one of two people. Either you were a slave to sin and Jesus has freed you, or you're currently a slave to sin and Jesus wants to free you. Hear me say that. You're one of two people. Either you were a slave to sin, or you are a slave to sin. And the redemption that Jesus gives breaks the chains. See, the Jewish people, they were being oppressed by... When Jesus came, they were being oppressed by a foreign foreign empire, a mighty empire, the Roman Empire, the greatest, most powerful empire the world had ever known at this time. Well, all the Jewish leaders, they were expecting the Savior to save them from Rome. But Jesus came and he says, Rome is not your problem. You are your problem. And he saved. Jesus gave his life. He died. He rose again. And in that, he frees people from the power and the oppression of sin. Slavery throughout history and throughout our world is a real thing even today. It is a horrible and awful and unjust thing, and it needs to go away. But let me tell you, there's even a greater evil. And that is the sin that lives in our hearts. You all, what Jesus does is he breaks the power of sin. One of our catechism questions says, he breaks both the power of sin in your life, so that sin doesn't have to control you anymore. In addition to that, he breaks the penalty of sin. So that you don't have to be punished for the sin of your life. So both Moses and Jesus offer freedom to an oppressed people. 
And in that sense, they are both redeemers. Verse 36 goes to say that Moses took the people out of Egypt. Great story. The first 20 chapters of the book of Genesis. Read it. It's one of those Bible stories that just sucks you in. It's one of the easier to read Bible stories out there. But God parts the Red Sea and they walk through it. And then God kills all their enemies who followed them in there. And God delivers them. So that's what verse 36 says. Verse 37. We see that Moses said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. See, in addition to Moses being a leader, Moses was also a prophet. Now what's a prophet do? A prophet takes the words and the thoughts of God and brings them to the people, right? Now, Moses isn't exactly like some of the other Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Elisha and all those people. Moses was quite different. But he did bring the message of God to the people. And when Moses says later in his life, God's going to raise up for you a prophet like me. Who do y'all think he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Just as God's hand had been on Moses, God's hand would be on another prophet. Just as God would use Moses to lead his people and to speak the word to the people, God would raise up another prophet. Just as God used Moses to bring redemption from slavery, God would raise up another prophet. And the next prophet would bring redemption from the greatest evil, and that is the sin that lives in each of us. So Moses told him, there's another one coming. You all, that, that really cuts to the heart of the Jewish leader's issue right here. They are so focused on Moses that they don't even hear Moses telling them about Jesus. Y'all, Jesus is the most important thing. Jesus is more important than church. Jesus is more important than baptism. Jesus is more important than your tithe. Jesus is more important than any, your new job that you're waiting for Him to give you. Jesus is more important than anything we read about in the Bible. The truth is, everything we read about in the Bible, and really everything that happens in our lives, should point us to Jesus in one way or another. Jesus is the centerpiece of history. And I've got to tell you, we're a lot like the Jewish leaders here. We think things that are all about other things. We, we, we put the priority on all kinds of stuff except for Jesus. We don't, I mean, should we prioritize second and third place? Absolutely. But all those other things point us to Jesus, and Jesus is more important than anything or anyone else. We miss that, don't we? And the Jewish leaders are certainly missing that. Stephen is saying to them, You're so worried about the Ten Commandments. You're so worried about the law of God. You're so worried about the temple. You're so worried about all this other stuff from our past. But you have no idea. The greatest thing, the thing that we've been waiting for, the thing that Moses was talking about, the thing that the temple should point us to, the things that the law of God are foreshadowing and and, and trying to get us to see, you're missing out on all that. You're missing out on what's most important. You're hanging on to what you see. You're hanging on to what you can control. And you're missing God's Messiah. You're missing the Savior. You're missing Jesus. So how did the people respond to Moses? 
They're responding about the same way they responded to Jesus, aren't they? How did the people respond to Stephen? Things aren't going well for Stephen, are they? See, Stephen, like Moses, like Jesus, is bringing them the message in the heart of God. And the people are still treating God's appointed person and God's people the way that they treated God's appointed person and God's man Moses back in the book of Exodus. Y'all, human nature hasn't changed. We got the same problem today. Verse 39 says clearly, Our fathers, talking back with Moses, refused to obey him. They thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. From verse 39, you all, we see the response. It's all about how did people respond to the man that God sent. And where did, what did they turn back to? Egypt, right? You all, they prayed. I'm not sure how many decades or how many generations. But they prayed when they were in slavery. They prayed a really long time. God, get us out of this. And God waited longer than any of them would have liked. But when God decided it was time, he answered their prayer, right? He got them out. Well, shortly thereafter, they're saying, no, God, I just, I, I just, God, can you just do undo, undo all the wonderful things you've done for me? God, I just want my own life. Let me tell you something. If you're in here and you're saved, if you're in here and you know Jesus, every once in a while you see your friends or every once in a while you're watching a movie and you see something on there that you used to do and you think that that's good for you and you think that you're missing out, I want to tell you, don't turn back to that. God saved you from that. Don't turn back to evil. Don't turn back to the bottle. Don't turn back to the drugs. Don't turn back to the sex or to this or to that or to whatever it is that is your thing and your struggle that you want and you desire. Don't go back to Egypt. God has something so much better for you. God has something so much better for you than all the things, all the horrible things that he rescued you and that he saved you from. So verse 40, they said to Aaron, make us some gods. We don't like this God who just did miracles for us. And we don't like Moses who led us from the land of Egypt. We don't even know where he's at. So they made a calf. You can read about this in Exodus 32. They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. You all, it is our evil human nature that we create something to worship. You all, if I have to take care of what I worship, then it's not worthy of my praise. The true God that we worship, see, he made me. And he's eternal and he's uncreated. He's infinite. He's always been around. I think he's worthy of worship. But we, in our sinful human nature, we try to create something else than what has been given to us. And here they're rejoicing in the work of their hands. They really did give to Aaron. Like, okay, so when Moses was up on the mountain of God getting the Ten Commandments, they said to Aaron, who was the other leader with Moses, they're like, we don't know where Moses went. Can you make us a god? And Aaron said, sure, give me all your gold. So he took all their gold and he made a fancy, shiny, bright and shiny golden calf. And they... Worshipped what they made. Now I find it interesting. We've got this phrase. 
They were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Do you see that there in verse 41? Look at verse 48. Look ahead. Verse 48. The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Y'all, he's bringing an indictment against the Jewish leaders here. These Jewish leaders are all about the things that they can see and the things that they made. And he's saying that's the same horrible mistake that people did so many centuries ago. And he's saying to them, don't do it. Verse 42, what did God do for them? God gave them what they wanted. There came a point where God quit trying to persuade them. God quit trying to rule their hearts. And God said, if you all want to worship all these false gods and and screw up your life, then so be it. And God let them go and he let them do the horrible things that they were longing to do. And God left them to their own decision, their own choice. And in that, they had to face the consequences of it. Y'all, we get to verse 40. Well, the second part of verse 42, there's a prophecy from the book of Amos. And God asks, did you bring to me all these sacrifices for those 40 years in the wilderness? And the implied answer is no. See, after God delivered them from Egypt, they spent 40 years journeying through the desert trying to get where they were going. But because they weren't walking with God, God confused them and they couldn't get where they were going. And so 40 years passed before they got to the land that God promised them. And really, it should have just taken them a couple months to get there. But 40 years... 40 years when it could have been just such a short period of time. Verse 43 is hard. And I'm getting ready to share some things that are hard. But that's what we do. If it's in the Bible, we talk about it as appropriately as we can. Here's what they did while they were wandering in the desert. They took up the tent of Moloch. You all... Moloch was a god of the people that were in the promised land. And God had told them to go into that land and take it as their own. Well, you know, today we worship with lifted hands. We worship with obedience. We worship by singing songs. We worship by loving other people, right? There's a lot of ways we worship, right, that are good. Well, the way that people worship Moloch was they sacrificed their children. So here, the second time in this passage, we have people killing children. There are, I read, over a dozen different occasions in the Old Testament where, where people sacrificed children to Moloch. This went on for centuries, if not millennia. And the people of God, when they didn't follow the true God, they followed Moloch. He was one of many different gods that they would bow down and serve. Today, there's a legal, government-funded destruction of children that exists in our land today. We all know people who've had abortion. You may 
have participated in an abortion yourself, or you may have someone close to you who has participated in that. Abortion has affected my family. Abortion has... So many people that I know well have shared with me how abortion has affected them at somewhere, some level in their family. You all today... When we don't worship the true God, people think it's okay to sacrifice children. People think it's right. People think it's justified. But if you're here today and you're a worshiper of the true God, then you have to recognize that God says do not murder. And you have to recognize that Jesus Christ took on human. He he, he became human. He took on flesh. He became God, became man. He was in the womb for nine months. And Jesus says, that baby that is still inside of its mama is sacred, is special, is human, and should have the opportunity to live. Abortion is wrong in even the most difficult of occasions and circumstances. They were sacrificing children and and. But this guy, Moloch, these kids were, these people were already born. These weren't just the preborn. Today, our problem is with, with preborn. That's where we get it wrong. But these were kids, just like children, in our room today. And these children were being sacrificed. Now, what were they being sacrificed to? A false god. And this god, Moloch, he had a temple, he had all that stuff, right? Well, what about the gods of today? You all, did you know that when people don't worship the one true God, they always make a God? They always make a God. Now here in the United States, it's not a God that we make with our hands. It's not like a golden calf, you know, that you got in your house and you bow down to twice a day and all that. So we don't do it like that today. But you all, in our day, the God is ourself. And it's a little bit harder to pinpoint that type of idolatry. But we live in a world today Where because I didn't plan to get pregnant, someone didn't plan to get pregnant, and and, and I don't really have time for a child in the next five to ten years of my life. You know, it messes up me that I serve and love. It messes, messes up my God's plan, and my God just happens to be me. Then it's okay to sacrifice. You all, this is a heartbreaking thing and it needs to stop. There, there, we're, we're talking 2,300 people a day in our nation. 2,300 people a day. This is heartbreaking. You all, if you do not worship the true God, you will worship someone else. And I beg you, I ask you to bow down to Jesus Christ and to not bow down to anyone or anything else. Will you do that? I beg of you to do that. We get into the verse 43 and we move on. You take up the star of your God, Rephan. What's Rephan? Rephan is Saturn. They were worshiping the planets. You all, I ain't going too far into this. But those stars don't speak, okay? God speaks. What those stars do is the heavens, they declare the glory of God. I told you earlier that everything that God created points to the Creator, right? Your horoscopes. There's nothing real. There's nothing true. There's nothing there. 
Man made that up. Demons probably made that up. Okay? Don't look to get direction from the stars. Get your direction from God and worship God and don't look to or trust as your greatest hope something that's not God. Your greatest hope must be God. Amen. All right. So let's talk quickly about Stephen. Let's talk quickly about us and we'll be done. Y'all already know what Stephen's doing, right? He's trying to get the religious leaders to see that they're doing the same thing that the people have always done. They're rejecting the one that God sent. And Stephen doesn't want them to do that. Stephen does not want them to miss the Savior. He's saying, don't miss Jesus. See, the people that were worshiping Moloch and the people that were worshiping the Saturn, the, the Saturn God, they did some horrible things in the name of religion. In our world today, we do horrible things, but it's not necessarily in the name of religion. And when we do that, we miss God, right? Amen. So there's just an awful, filthy, and horrible way to live where we miss God, right? But I want to tell you another way you can miss God. You can do what these religious leaders are doing. They're trying to be so religious. They're trying to be so spiritual. They're talking about the law of God in the temple. It would kind of be like us today. Oh, I got baptized, or I did this, or I go to church every day, or my grandpa was a preacher. Y'all, that stuff doesn't save you. You can look religious. Every Sunday for all of your life, you can be the biggest donor at church and burn in hell for all eternity. Those things that you do don't save you. Stephen's trying to get the religious leaders to see this temple is not going to save you. But Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who saves back then. Jesus is the one who saves today. I want to ask you, has Jesus saved you? Amen. He loves you. He died on a cross as a criminal, as a lawbreaker. And He never even broke the law. We did. Haven't you broken the law of God? But Jesus loves us so much. Instead of us going to the slaughter and to the punishment, instead of us being locked up for all eternity, Jesus says, I'm going to go. And he went to that cross and he suffered and died as a criminal. Three days later, he came back from the dead. And then the message started going out. If you come to Jesus Christ, he saves you. He washes away your sin. He wipes it away. He, the, the slavery and the power of sin, he breaks it. The chains are gone. Y'all, Jesus is good, is he not? Amen. Jesus is wonderful, is he not? Some of us, we believed on this message decades ago. Some of us, some of you, you might be here today and you might not have. And you're wondering about it and it sounds good. How do you get it? You call upon the Lord and He will save you. Amen. Say, Jesus Christ, you know everything I've done. I have no hope. Jesus, come save me. You call on the Lord like that, He'll come in. He'll change your life. Amen. I want everyone in this room to know. That Jesus is our only hope. 
And I want you to know that no matter how good you are, you will not be good enough for God. You've already wrecked those chances. Just think for ten minutes how you've lived your life so far. But Jesus doesn't care about that. His love is so great for you that He will accept you as you are. And He loves you so much, He's not going to let you stay that way. You all, Jesus saves. And let's join Stephen. And for the rest of our life, let's join Stephen, let's join Moses. And let's say, it's all about Jesus. Let's pray.